Welcome to Open Life Online. Excited to uh, bring the talk today. Let me share a story with you. From November 13th, 1946, a single propeller airplane took off from Schenectady County Airport with a rather unique payload. Six pounds of dry ice and a rather unique mission. Okay, here's what was happening. The pilot was a chemist named Vincent Schaefer, who had been conducting some clandestine experiments at General Electric's research laboratory using uh, GE freezer chilled to sub-zero temperatures. Schaefer created clouds using his breath as condensation. And then he seeded those clouds with dry ice and the dry ice crystallized and made snow, right? Which is just crazy to think of happening in a freezer. Well, a few months later, it was time to take this to the field. So that is when Schaefer rented the airplane and flew it into a cumulus cloud and dumped all the dry ice all at once. Eyewitnesses say on the ground that it looked like the cloud exploded. It was The snowfall was visible, get this, for 40 miles. The GE uh, monogram had a little bit of fun with Schaefer's benchmark breakthrough, and it said this, Schaefer made it snow this afternoon over Pitts Field. Next week, he walks on water. <laughs> oh, we know that that didn't happen, but get this. It was the science of seeding the clouds, seeding the clouds. And it was a marvel of science at the time, but it wasn't anything new as we're going to look at in 1 Kings 18, reading one of the powerful stories of Elijah. Uh, we've been in this series, Win the Day, and this is the final Final habit, we've looked at uh, flip the script, we've looked at kissing the wave, we've looked at eat the frog, fly the kite, cut the rope, wind the clock, and now today we look at seed the clouds. Our big idea today is this, sow today what you want to see tomorrow. We've got to sow today what we want to see tomorrow. And that's where Elijah just gives us this beautiful illustration in 1 Kings 41 through 45. This is what was happening. It hadn't rained in three and a half years. And uh, on behalf of the people there, it was desperate times. So it required desperate measures and they were seeking a solution. And Elijah is the one who, who hears from God, gets an unction, if you will, and climbs Mount Carmel and seeds the clouds with dry ice. Well, not really, not really dry ice. We're gonna see how he seeds the clouds right now. Verse 41, then Elijah said to Ahab, go get something to eat and drink for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. So Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face between his knees. Then he said to his servant, go and look out towards the sea. 
The servant went and looked, then returned to Elijah and said, I didn't see anything. Seven times Elijah told him to go and look. And finally, the seventh time his servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Then Elijah shouted, hurry to Ahab and tell him, climb into your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. Soon the sky was black with clouds. A heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm, right? It hadn't rained in three and a half years. Any rainstorm is going to be a terrific rainstorm. And Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. My goodness, it worked, right? Maybe you've heard the term mountaintop experience. This was one of those experiences for sure in Elijah's life. He seeds the clouds with faith, with prayer, with expectancy. Man, if you were to ask Elijah how to seed the clouds, I believe that he would tell you three things. And those are our thoughts today. First, he would say, you have to have ears that hear. You've got to have ears that hear. He said, I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. That's pretty incredible. He hears something no one else is even listening for. Something he has not physically heard in over three years. Just dial that up. Close your eyes. Dial that up real quick. Can you hear a rainstorm? We're pretty used to them here. So I, I, I think that wouldn't be too difficult. But if you haven't heard it for three years, how was Elijah able to hear something the others were not able to imagine? Could it be he knew the power of solitude? I believe so. I, I believe that he understood the power of, of silence because uh, God showed him the power of silence right after this instance in an even greater illustration that we'll read in a moment. See, the power of silence and, and what we can hear from the Holy Spirit when we quiet ourselves before the Lord, when we create times of solitude and silence so that we can hear God, beautiful things happen. It's Mother Teresa that said, we all must take the time to be silent and to contemplate, especially those who live in big cities where everything moves so fast. I always begin my prayer in silence, for it is in silence of the heart that God speaks. God is the friend of silence. We need to listen to God because it's not what we say, but what he says to us and through us that matters. Prayer feeds the soul. As blood is to the body, prayer is to the soul. And it brings you closer to God. It also gives you a clean and pure heart. A clean heart can see God, can speak to God, and can see the love of God in others. Wow, that's some wisdom right there. Hey, this April... Open Life is going to do something we haven't done in a long time. We are going to walk through a discipleship journey together called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. And I am hoping 
every one of you jump in on this opportunity because I really believe it's going to change the future of open life's depth of the faith. One of the key practices as we've been researching different ways of discipleship and paths of discipleship, and when we unpacked this emotionally healthy discipleship uh, material, one of the cool things that's really been speaking to us is, is the moments of silence that you develop in your daily times with the Lord. Just really being able to, to, to quiet your life enough to, to have a relationship with God. Uh, we can hear the rainstorm coming, I guess you could say, right? And, and I'm passionate about what we're jumped into. The third week of April, we are going to be asking you to join in on one of the opportunities available in groups, online. Uh, so in person or online, we just believe God wants you to grow your relationship. And specifically, I was thinking about it here, to develop silence to hear your miracle approaching, to hear your marching orders from God as you begin to silence yourself so that you can boldly step out for your own life and as Elijah's doing, for the good of the people around you. Elijah didn't climb the mountain for himself. It wasn't his own desperation that took him there. He went to the mountain out of obedience to that still small voice of the Holy Spirit in order to bring a miracle for all the people. This moment was a God idea. And I would rather have one God idea than a thousand good ideas. We go out there seeking good ideas, but what if we just quiet ourselves and hear from God? Man, in the book, The Deeply Formed Life, Rich Velotis says this, in silent prayer, we are constantly called to let go of the need to achieve mastery or to perform well. Just let that sentence sink in. We're not performing anymore when we're praying, when we're just silent before the Lord. That all comes to an end. But... Let's continue the quote. Whenever I hear of people being recognized as spiritual masters or masters of prayer, I don't think of them as people who have some kind of secret sauce that makes their prayer life extraordinary. I think of them as people who've determined day in and day out to return to the simple act of being with God. There are instances when I spend time with God in silence and can sense his love and mercy. But then there are occasions when I feel that it's a waste of time. I love his honesty and transparency there, right? Final sentence, listen to this. But like with most of our closest relationships, even in the ordinary moments, our shared presence is a gift. Just our shared presence alone is a gift. I don't know. I don't know if it impacts you when people comment, hello, glad you're here, or we in the chat or, or, or making conversation as you watch this service, but it's encouraging to me to see who's present and to see people encouraging one another and, and building one another up. That gives me life. Well, even more so in the presence of God, it gives you life just to sit in his presence. What makes me believe that Elisha found his direction and silence to climb up this mountain and, and start to pray for rain 
Well, it's because of what it says in 1 Kings 19. He had this discovery, and, and, and I have to imagine this was the moment where what he had discovered before in hearing the, the rain and the voice of God became like a conviction in 1 Kings 19 in the next chapter. And he said, uh, he said go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord in, in 1 Kings 19, 11, for the Lord is about to pass by. So Elijah wants to see the Lord as he passes by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle, which was what he put on Elisha a couple weeks ago, right? Is that It's that furry cloak. He wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, what are you doing here, Elijah? You heard that right. Elijah found the Lord's direction in the sound of sheer silence. Silence that is so silent, it has a sound of its own. That's like a lot of translations actually translate it different because people couldn't comprehend the sound of sheer silence. And so it says in a whisper. Uh, maybe that's what your translation of that passage says. God wants to meet us in the silence, that we would have ears that could hear him. Sometimes the thing we need most is silence in order to hear him. Thought two, I think Elijah would say we have to have a posture of prayer. We have to have a posture of prayer, and posture involves place as well. He said he he climbed up Mount Carmel, right? He bowed low to the ground and he had his face between his knees. Now, I, I'm not going to try to replicate that on camera because it would look hilarious, but just imagine how this is possible. This is his posture for prayer. And God thought it so important as he inspired the writing of this text to include this. Like the posture mattered during Elijah's bold prayer. Bold prayers are enough, but, but there's something about having a place of prayer, and there's something about taking a posture within our prayer that shows our humility before the Lord. It's beautiful. It allows us to clearly communicate to God our heart's desires and our readiness for him to move and our faith that he's going to do it. Um, the first thing I noticed there is the place for prayer, right? Uh, what, where's your Mount Carmel? <laughs> where is your thin space? Do you remember that message from last year where we shared the story in conclusion? We'll link it here uh, to the talk if you want to go watch that talk on prayer. But an ancient Celtic Christians, they, they understood very well that the Holy Spirit can saturate places as well as people. They described such sacred sites 
evocatively as thin space places, thin places. Your thin place might simply be a particular chair in your house, a bench in the park, uh, uh, just a, a revered, it says a Hollywood half hour, or your daily commute, a regular slot in a 24-7 prayer room. Oh man, I'm, I'm ready to have one of those, right? That'd be really cool. Or even time in the sanctuary, or some of you might call this your sanctuary, your bathroom, right? That's the quote. I laughed that those are together. Spiritual teacher Richard Foster urges us to find a place of focus, a loft, a garden, a spare room, an attic, even a designated chair somewhere away from the routine of life, out of the path of distractions. Allow this spot to become a sacred tent of meeting. Your thin place. Man, I hope you have thin places because your place of prayer matters and your posture matters. I don't think we could be too practical here. And I just, I felt that nudge from the Holy Spirit to like be super practical because not all of us have an opportunity to learn how to pray from someone or sit under someone who, who models prayer for us. So I'm gonna take a moment here and uh, share some different postures, physical behaviors in prayer that we can see in scripture, which we'll share in a second. But I personally, <coughs> I like to pace and pray. Like that, I am a pacing and praying with, and with my eyes closed. So hopefully there's no obstacles, you know, but I do. I like to pace and pray and talk with my hands. And by the way, I do the same thing on the phone. That's just kind of, that's how I have conversations oftentimes. And so I'm like, is it something about pacing and praying? That's a passionate prayer for me. If I'm praying passionately, I'm up, right? Uh, I kneel in prayer. Kneeling in prayer, literally getting down on my knees is such a great posture of, of surrender. It's that moment where I'm just like, I shouldn't even be worthy to stand in your presence, Lord, right? Um, how about open hands, open palms? It's it's that, Lord, I'm ready to receive. It's like I'm catching whatever you're throwing, Lord. I'm here, I'm open. My hands are, are unclenched and I'm just ready for you. Oftentimes when I'm praying like this, I'm sitting, I've just... I'm just in a, a sitting posture and I'm just like before the Lord silently awaiting him to, to speak to me. Uh, we talked about prayers to the mountain, not about the mountain a couple of weeks ago. Uh, when you're declaring things in prayer, you, you, man, you might be pointing at it, you know? I'd say it's point to the mountain. Lord, in the name of Jesus, move and you'll see People pray and they're pointing to their mountain, even if they can't see it. You know, I pray against fear. I pray against depression, pray against suicidal thoughts. I pray against, you know, these things that are coming against the church or whatever. Man, that's a, a passionate one. Okay. Suck and rug, man. Suck and rug. Some would call it snotting. Uh, you know, this is like that old school altar experience. If you've ever heard of that or if that's a new concept, it's laying on your face in prayer 
before the Lord. And man, if you're weeping when you're doing that and the sinuses begin to flow, like clean up on aisle nine, uh, you know, that's just, I've heard that referred to as suck and rug. So that's what I think about is just when I'm on my face in prayer. And then how about this one? Uh, one of the most beautiful postures of prayer is that we have the challenge in scripture to lay hands on each other and pray. Like that's a now a posture of prayer that involves someone else. And it's just that, that presence of God flowing through us to someone else. And oftentimes that's accompanied by a hand lifted. It's like, God, come and get them, you know, and, and we're praying for them. And, and oftentimes, even recently this week, when I had the opportunity to pray for somebody, I'm praying like this and this, and, and we were praying for a while. And, and there's a moment in that prayer where I'm thinking, I'm out of shape. Uh, my arms are getting tired, but the Lord's giving you strength because you're praying into someone's life. Interesting, isn't it? That the postures of prayer could be so important. The Bible gives us so many examples. How about Moses? Moses removes his shoes in the presence of a burning bush with God's voice in it because it was holy ground. In fact, Mark Batterson, the author of the book, When the Day That Inspired This Series, takes his shoes off while he's writing based off of his inspiration from that scripture. Jesus went into the desert, so he knew about places. He went into the desert for 40 days to fast and pray after he was baptized by John the Baptist. That was alone. He would often get away to lonely places after that in prayer as well. It was all about those quiet places. Jesus prays in Gethsemane before he is betrayed. And we see it recorded in Matthew 26, 39, that he was falling face down in prayer. That's sucking rug, right? For him, it was like sucking ground. And uh, I just look at that as that example of just being face down, just laid out in prayer. The disciples pray in the upper room in the beginning of the book of Acts, and they wait for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That place meant something for them, and, and it means something to us. There's prayer meetings all around the world called the upper room to this day. Well, today, while you're experiencing this, it's probably Palm Sunday, especially if you're with us live right on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. And uh, Palm Sunday is the beginning of what for generations has been called Holy Week or Passion Week. The, the moments that occurred in Jesus' life before the cross, before the resurrection. And, uh, it, you know, this is the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and people laid palm branches uh, before him and they were, they were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, you know, here comes their king. They were ready for, for his rule. They didn't know it was going to be a spiritual rule. They thought it was going to be a physical one, right? And they're just celebrating his entry. Well, the next day is the day that Jesus turns over the temple, the temple sellers. He's turning over the tables and, and, and he's kicking people out. Why? Because he said his house would be a house of prayer not a den of thieves, not a place where he just wanted people to, to hold markets, right? This is the challenge coming into this year we sensed that we shared at the beginning of the year when we said God has called us to marked 
intentional moments of prayer. Moments where uh, we could even have a specific place where we could cry out to God, a place of prayer, a moment of prayer to seed the clouds for our future. Man, I actually long to do a 24-hour prayer and worship event. The church that we've served in Indonesia, ICA Sarabaya, does these every year. And it's just like, man, how cool would that be to just go after the Lord for 24 straight hours? Sounds tiring, actually. Am I too old for that? Probably. But how powerful would that be for us to, to find a slot in our own 24-7 prayer moment? Well, Thursday marks the Last Supper. It's the moment Jesus gathered everybody around a table and demonstrated what was about to happen to him in a very visible way uh, in, in breaking some bread and drinking some, some wine that represented his body broken and his blood that was going to be shed. And that's what he then went out to the Garden of Gethsemane after that, and he was betrayed. And so I wanted to pause right here in the middle of thought two, or the conclusion of thought two, and lead us in communion. Again, when we're talking about a posture of prayer, uh, what a beautiful moment as we just position ourselves in reverence of Jesus, in gratitude of what he has done with his body and his blood. So whatever bread you have, grab some bread. I have these fancy dancy prepackaged. Who knows what this is made of? But uh, we are gonna receive communion. Grab the bread and, and I break it just to remember his body that is broken for us. And again, let's invite first Jesus into our life. <laughs> if you haven't yet, you don't want to receive communion without having a relationship with him. Jesus, come into my life. I want you as my Lord and Savior. And this moment, I'm celebrating what you did for me on the cross and what you did for me by breaking, having your body broken for me and by shedding your blood for me. So I remember your body that's broken for me right now in Jesus' name. He held up the cup, and we just have juice here, whatever you whatever you have. Uh, but he held up the, the cup after breaking the bread, and he said, this is my blood which is shed for you. It says that by his stripes we are healed, right? That his blood shed to atone for our sins. He was the perfect sacrifice for our sins once and for all. And uh, so we thank you, Jesus, for what you did with your blood for us. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. That's a posture of prayer we love to do at least once a month. Harder to do during COVID, but we're celebrating what he is doing in our life. Um, thought three, final thought. Elijah would say we need to have expectant persistence. I think he demonstrates that incredibly clearly here. And maybe you missed it. But Elijah uh, pulled a Babe Ruth. Now I have to make a baseball reference. It's opening week, right? And uh, baseball's getting going. And give a shout out to our baseball fans who are watching. But boy, you know what Babe Ruth used to, to do is he would get to the plate and he would point to where he was going to hit the home run. Classic for it. That's what he's known for doing, right? and he would hit the home run there. Elijah makes that happen 
right here in this story. He calls the king and or sends his servant to tell the king, get ready, the rain is coming, right? He's just like, uh, he calls the miracle that is in the making before the miracle is made and tells the king to get some food and something to drink because he's gonna have to flee soon. It's gonna rain. And he went up the mountain with expectancy, not curiosity, not maybe. He heard the vision that it was going to rain. Seven times Elijah was sure there would be a sign of rain coming. He sends his servant time and again to go see what God was doing as he was praying. And what if he quit the sixth time? Have you ever just like, what if? What if he did not keep praying? But it was the seventh time where just the smallest little cloud in the distance is visible. And that was enough for him to, again, in expectancy, say to his servant, run and tell the king to get in his chariot and get out of here. A great rain is coming and he'll be trapped. It's mind boggling, honestly. In a Bible study this last week with a few guys, we were, <clears throat> it's one of the things I'm doing just to help people grow in their relationship with Jesus and understand how to, to read a Bible. And, and in a Bible, if you're unfamiliar with it, there's a, maybe your Bible has a little center section with a bunch of scripture references. And you're reading along and, and at the top of a word, there'll be like a letter and it could lead you to that center column. It's called a cross-reference. And what it's going to do is it's going to go link to all the moments in Scripture that occur that are similar to what you're reading. And when you put that into practice with this seven times moment in Elijah's life, looking at all the places in Scripture that seven or seven times is indicated, you're going to find some cool stuff. Proverbs 24, 16 is one of the places you'll land, the godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. They will get up again, but one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. Abraham bows down to the ground seven times in Genesis 33. The priests consecrate the altar by sprinkling it seven times. The word of the Lord is like silver refined Seven times, according to Psalm 12. Naaman dips into the Jordan River seven times. The Israelites circle Jericho. You got it. You, you know it. Seven times. But even cooler, on the seventh day, they did it seven days in a row. They did it seven times, right? It's like, boom. Uh, man, expectant persistence declares I'm going to keep on going until I get my miracle, until I see God provide. I ain't given up the sixth time, seven times. Man, I'm sure it was this moment in history that seeded a cloud that was reflected back on in the life of somebody the generation before Jesus. In fact, Mark Batterson wrote a book about it about the character Honey, 
uh, a real person, the generation before Jesus that that did a similar miracle with this, what they maybe you would call an Elijah anointing on his life. There was a similar drought, much like the one in the place, uh, a place in the time of our story in First Kings. And the people were being threatened to die. A whole generation was going to be lost due to the drought. And so they called Honey to pray for rain. And Honey did this in such a bold and beautiful way. He took his staff and he drew a circle in the sand, his place. Then he knelt in that circle, his posture, right? And he prayed this prayer, Sovereign Lord, I swear before your great name that I will not leave this circle until you have mercy upon your children. His expectant persistence right there. I'm not going to leave until you answer. And his prayer went up and rain came down. And that's how the legend of the circle maker began right there. It was a prayer that saved a generation. And as it turns out, the next generation was pretty critical as Jesus shows up on the scene. Most people die long before the date of their death, as we've learned during this series, right? They stop living. They end up living in their past. It doesn't have to be that way. Without a vision, we know that people perish, but the opposite is true. Vision is a preservative in our life. If you have a vision, you are never past your prime. If you have a vision, you never age out. If you want to dream big, you better think long because it may take longer than you think. Five times, six times, seven times before the rain is visible. Listen, one of the two things is going to happen. Either memory is going to overtake imagination or imagination is going to overtake our memory. An expectant, persistent imagination is the way that we see the clouds, that we see the clouds, right? To the third and fourth generation that follow us. We have a theology of the city, I guess you could say at Open Life. We've read Jeremiah 29 a bunch of times. If you prosper the city, I'll prosper you. Plant gardens, you know, uh, lay, build houses, bless the city. And why? Because we want to do things that'll make a difference beyond us. What are we doing that's making a difference a hundred years from now? We don't want to live on memories alone. We want to craft the future stories today, one day at a time. So Elijah's servant sees something, a cloud as small as a hand far off in the distance, which is awfully small, but that just reinforces that we shouldn't despise small beginnings. Man, if you're an open lifer, you remember the fall of 2010 when we first began. You know, we wanted to do something for the schools, so we partnered with them to provide uh, 150 Thanksgiving meals to Liberty Ridge Elementary School. And as we approached that date, we realized we were baroque. We didn't have any money in the bank, but God provided the funding that matched our faith. 
And we were able to provide every single meal to somebody in need on that snowy day out of the food bank truck. This year, that seed of faith has birthed into so many organizations coming together. It's a community-wide moment now, the Community Big Give. And we fed over a thousand families. We drove the food to their houses because of the pandemic. And it was a beautiful day involving so many people investing back into the community. We discovered very early that it didn't take a massive church to do something. It wasn't what we could do in our community. It was what we could do together for our community. And we began to be this agency that could influence the city and the region to come together and make a difference. That was a seed. Little did we know it. Little did we have this language at the time, right? Man, the, the value we developed of carrying out this heart found in Jeremiah 29 and, and serving and prospering the city early on just to, to be a blessing to the community around us, I believe is what's 100% responsible. It's the seed that, that made miracles that are in the process right now possible because there's some moments right now we can see some clouds over the sea for open life. Let me just hint to what's going on. God has opened the hearts of some community members in Bonnie Lake Buckley and the surrounding region uh, that could very possibly allow us to use some of their facilities in a way that would allow us to do some of the discipleship ministry in person that we're desiring, youth and re-engage and some partnerships with foster community and some other dreams that are stirring, a community place. Um, right now, we have a historical uh, chapel being offered for our use, and I won't say where it's at, you might be able to figure it out because we're still praying for it. In fact, we've been praying for it since the spring of 2015 when we said yes to that community. And it's gonna take some time potentially as some permitting gets finished, but Open Life has an open door for some place that maybe we could do a very cool 24-hour prayer moment or some worship nights or begin to reach an entirely new community. Lord willing, Lord willing, why are you being so cryptic, Thad? Because I, I don't want to get ahead of the Lord. I want to just celebrate the miracle as it's becoming visible. In addition, we've been praying for right spaces since our 10th anniversary verbally. Before then, we've been praying for right spaces. But really, we said in the next 10 years, we're going to find a place where, where we can even break out into rooms and do ministry. That's the re-engage type, the youth group type facility, a place where maybe we could gather even if it was big enough. And we've been praying for those in the Bonnie Lake Buckley area. And this week, some things began to, to come to pass where uh, someone is, is interested in potentially allowing open life to purchase something way under market value, which would be a miracle of God. And I was sitting here, man, the school just opened back up, Lord, why now? And I think he wanted us to know that only he could provide this opportunity and make it happen. Had to be at this time for us to know this was God's divine intervention, not our momentum that made this possible. So Lord willing, the next few days or weeks, um, we're going to be able to seed the clouds for this community. That open life would be able to pursue additional spaces of ministry in our community that would continue 
for generations beyond us. Will you just be praying for right spaces with us so that we would have places where we could take the posture of prayer like never before. God's opening multiple doors and I believe it's because of our prayers. Our action thought today is, you guessed it, seed the clouds. Seed the clouds because God wants to do something with our tomorrows. God, I thank you that we get to celebrate your life this week in a very passionate way. As we reflect on what you did leading up to the cross and resurrecting from the grave, we stand back humbled and we surrender ourselves in prayer. We surrender ourselves in a posture of prayer before you and just say, God, we praise your mighty name. And we say, God, we wanna seed the clouds with, with opportunities and, and visions for the future. In fact, I pray right now and toss out this prayer request that, that people would come to find you, would return to you this week as maybe they look for the first time at the power of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. That those who are being invited to join us next Sunday at the Performing Arts Center at Bunny Lake High School will find and follow Jesus and begin a journey of discipleship, even have an opportunity to jump in to the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship just a couple weeks later. God, help us to make time for you daily to find spaces where we can listen for you, that we would have ears that would hear, that we would be in postures of prayer, and that, God, we would be expectantly persistent and determined to see you give us the breakthrough. And God, may you get all the glory because it's only you that can move the mountains for us. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for celebrating Easter with us. We love you, and we can't wait to celebrate Easter Sunday, not just Palm Sunday, but Easter Sunday next week. Uh, we believe God's got something very special in store for you. So bless you. See you in a week.